0: I don't know if you noticed this morning, this is kind of an aside, but um, the wor- the just fun fact kind of stuff, the, the worship that we did, some of those songs, um, I, <laughs> poor Charlie, man, he's having a, Lord, bless Charlie, <laughs> poor Charlie, Tra- peace and calm in Jesus' name, Charlie. <laughs> 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 Almost teased you there. Um that song through the darkness, Lord, your name is still like honey on my lips, and there's nothing like your spirit, water to my soul. We love you, Charlie. Um it's it's a song written many decades later from the song that we did, actually I think two after Holy and Anointed One. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but Holy and Anointed One is the song, um, you know, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, all that. I grew up, like, singing that song, you know, like, in my little kids' Bible studies and Sunday school and all that, and it's, for me, it's such a song of, that just reminds me of that early faith, you know, those, those essentials of the faith, of who Jesus is and what his word is and what his spirit is, and then, like, well, I don't remember when that song was written, but it was probably written, um, oh, I don't know if I was little, it was at least early 80s I don't know but by John Barnett the guy who wrote Through the Darkness is a dear friend of John Barnett's it's had a lot of life happen and I just that song wrecks me how he refers back to that Lord your name is still like honey on my lips your spirit is still water to my soul your word is still a light for my path and it's so I don't know to me that's just such a beautiful set of bookends like on a life of faith and just that ends me so I just thought I'd share that with you guys we kind of did them in the opposite order today. Um, my name is Leah Pavel. I am that other pastor that Josh referred to in his announcements this morning. Thanks for being here this morning on a kind of drizzly, icky, not very spring-feeling day. Hopefully we'll get that before too long. Uh, we're continuing this morning in this series that we've been doing called Everything on the Table. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us or new to this, it's this idea that um, really kind of this impression that the Lord gave us a while back of how critical it is that we make the table of Jesus central to everything we do Um, that we don't put church programming central or we don't put like our theology central or even like you know uh, fun stuff we do or whatever it might be that the most central important thing is this table that Jesus himself sets for us to come and feast. Because that's where we're going to find everything that we need. Not in church programming, not in the clubs we do, not in Bible studies we have. It's coming to his table that he sets. Because no table that we can set is really going to be sufficient. And so, very much echoing what Brant said this morning before communion, that what we want to invite you to is that, just to meet with our Jesus at the table he sets. And we try to be welcoming and hospitable and and be a part of welcoming people to that table but what we want to come to is what he has for us not what church pastors or anything else have for us because we're going to fall short and so that's the series that we're in and this morning I want to talk to you about something I believe the Lord gave me for us today um, and that is unbelief and and putting our unbelief on this table that's the whole idea of this series is taking things that we may be inadvertently, subconsciously, have sort of taken off the table from Jesus's touch and from his, for trying to keep them to ourselves and say, Lord, I don't really want you to mess with that one. You know, that one's a little tender. But taking those things and saying, Lord, here it is, here's all of me on the table for you to do what you will with, because that's where the best is for us, right? When we take those things out and allow him to touch them and speak to them and heal them And I want to just echo again what Bev said earlier. Um, We're going to talk about this a little in this sermon, but at the end today, I think that's really what our response is, is, Lord, I'm coming to you for healing. Whatever kind of healing it looks like, whether it's physical or something else going on, um, we want this to be a place where you meet with Jesus and he changes those things. You know, we all have times where our faith is tested. And we're all going to have times where our faith kind of goes through a tempering process and it goes through the fire and it changes and it morphs. And there's things that we go through that we're confronted with, with difficulties or circumstances or challenges where our beliefs are going to be shaken. And we're going to have to decide all over again what it is we really believe about who Jesus is and what he can do. And that's what we're talking about this morning. A lot of that's going to be deciding what we really believe his character is like. What's he really like? Who is he really? You know, and I know that there's a lot of people in our country going through this kind of thing right now. You know, there's all these weird words like deconstruction and stuff, and they have baggage with them, so I don't, I don't really want to go there. But, you know, there's many young people who were raised in the church, who were taught to believe you know one thing but as they've grown up they're looking at the political divides they're looking at the racial divides they're looking at these awful mistakes that churches and church leaders have made you know they're looking at the things that they were taught as kids that maybe weren't exactly things that Jesus taught but maybe instead things that culture taught us and it kind of got added on as a little bit of a dangler (laughs) onto things that Jesus taught. And they're beginning to question what they really believe. They're having to figure this out all over again. Their faith has been rattled and doubt is beginning to creep in. You know, there's a lot of people in the Ukraine right now whose faith is being shaken because they didn't see some really hard stuff coming. And they're asking God, why? Because their world has been turned upside down. And their faith is being shaken you know I've had times in my life nothing to that extreme of course but where things have happened that I didn't understand why God let them happen and so God why and I'm sure you have too, to to some extent or the other you know maybe someone that you prayed for wasn't healed and you prayed fervently with every ounce of faith that you had Maybe a relationship that you hope would be restored wasn't, and it fell apart anyway. Maybe the provision that you were hoping for and praying for never really came through. Maybe you prayed for peace and conflict came anyway. Is it? Actually, why don't I just wear a ponytail every time? Sorry, I'll try and keep it back there. The kind of belief that I'm talking about this morning is way more than just a brain head knowledge um type of academic or logical assent to a fact this isn't just about whether or not we believe in god or not if you're sitting in this room chances are you've got some level of belief there's some reason that you showed up here this morning i mean maybe maybe god just said hey go in that building i've heard those stories but if you're sitting here you probably have some level of belief there's some reason you're at church today to worship maybe your faith is fairly new actually maybe you're just beginning to work all this out maybe you've just kind of come to the place where you do actually believe that Jesus is Lord and you're not really sure what to do with it maybe you're deciding still on even that but this is more than just a binary yes or no type of discussion this is about the extent and the limits of our belief this is about the boundary where our faith ends and that doubt begins to creep in And it's about the places and the circumstances where we're just honestly not sure that we can say, I really want to put all my eggs in that faith basket, where we're hesitant, where we're reserved, where we're unconvinced. So there's two passages this morning that I want to look at. They're two different pictures, really, that I want us to consider together when it comes to wrestling with our unbelief because there are moments when Jesus himself in the flesh, the person of Jesus, interacted with individuals who are struggling to believe. And I want you to see how he interacts with them and what he says and does and the way that he meets them in that. So we're going to start in Mark 9 if you want to get out your Bibles or your scrolly things and go there. Um, I'm, a, I'm a paper kind of person. I like to, to touch and feel and turn. If you're that kind and you don't have one, there's some on the back table back there. Um, you'll have the added benefit of reading the same version I am. Because I grabbed one of those, and I'm in my 40s now. In my normal Bible, the print's starting to get a little yeah, small. <laughs> I don't need glasses yet. I'm holding on. But it's just not the smartest for me to try to read from that one up here. So Mark 9, and we're going to start in verse 14. The context of this is that Jesus has been away from the crowds, up on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where this really crazy thing happens where he starts like glowing and getting sparkly and Moses and Elijah show up and Peter, James, and John are with him and they're like, what is happening? This is really bizarre. Should we like build a tent for you, God? Like, what are we doing? Um, And he's been up there doing this whole thing and that's a whole other series. Um, And they're coming down off this mountain together and where we pick up in verse 14 is Jesus, Peter, James, and John coming back into this scene that this passage is talking about. So we're going to read verses 14 through 29 together. When they came to the other disciples, so the rest of them that were still down in the crowd, not on the mountain, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for, those who, for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. He replied, this kind come come out only by prayer. And some of your versions might say prayer and fasting. So there's a couple of different lenses, a couple of different perspectives that I want to look at this, this story through. First, we've got the disciples. The disciples I'm talking about, well, all of them really, but particularly the chunk that was left behind down not on the mountain with Jesus you know they've seen Jesus do this stuff they've been hanging out with him they've been watching him do his ministry and they know what he's capable of they've even done it themselves some so when this man brings his son that is possessed by this spirit to be delivered they're like oh yeah we got this we've seen this we've done this we can handle this except they don't it doesn't work this time It seems that they had the faith to at least try, to at least make an effort and start, but it didn't quite go as it planned. And the thing is, they're probably a little embarrassed, too, right? There's this whole crowd watching, and it's getting bigger by the minute, and the religious leaders are there, and they're watching, and they try in faith to do this thing, and it doesn't work. They weren't able to help this man's son. And not only that, when Jesus showed back up, he kind of called him on the carpet for it a little bit, didn't he? Now, I don't think Jesus was mean or angry, but I think it was just that kind of thing that just, we're not quite there yet. And so Jesus and the three of his disciples that are coming down off the mountain walk into this scene And not only have the disciples not been able to deliver the boy, but now they're in an argument with the Pharisees over it. What a mess. What a, what a chaotic moment he walks into. You know, it's kind of like that moment back in middle school where the teacher had to, bless her heart, go to the bathroom because she hadn't been in like six hours, and she just can't wait anymore, and she walks out of the room, and this, like, the kid that always has to be the center of attention gets up and just starts acting a fool, you know, when the teacher's out of the room, and he's doing his thing, but the teacher walks back in, but his back is turned to the door, and he doesn't realize the teacher's standing there, and he's like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, and the teacher's like, <coughs> I kind of feel like that's maybe what the disciples felt like in this moment. They're in the middle of this mess. They're arguing with the Pharisees, and there's Jesus. Oh. Do you think maybe at that moment they were wondering, oh, what's Jesus going to think of us? What's he going to think of us when he hears what's happened, when he, when he sees us arguing? I wonder if they were wondering, what are Peter, James, and John going to think of us? Man, how embarrassing. They probably weren't in the best way at that moment. And their faith that they had at first to try and heal this boy is rattled. Now, after Jesus heals the boy, what do they do? They can't wait to get back inside and ask him, why couldn't we do that? What were we missing, you know? Can't you, do you wonder if they were thinking, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us that we couldn't do that? So that's our first perspective. Our second, I want to talk about is the perspective of the father of the boy, the father that brought the boy to the disciples. Now think about this father. He has lived the entirety of his son's life in fear of what's going to happen to his son, worried about his son's health worried that he's going to be killed by this thing either throwing him into the fire and getting him burned or throwing him into the water and him drowning and he lives constant anxiety fearful of what's going to happen to his son but he's seen Jesus and he's seen Jesus's disciples and he's seen what they can do and all of a sudden his faith and his hope are stirred because that might be the answer for my son now we don't know how old this boy was But any amount of time living that way has got to be stressful. And so the relief he must feel when he sees, oh, my gosh, this person, these people can do something about this thing with my son. And so in faith, he acted, and he brings his son to them so hopeful that maybe his son can finally be set free, and he gets there, and Jesus isn't even there. He's up on the mountain. (gasps) Okay, I'll take those guys. They've done it before. Let's try them. But then he watches in disappointment as they try and fail. What must he have felt at that moment? Because he was so hopeful. <sighs> and now he just feels like the, the air has been let out of his, his sails. Maybe there really is no hope for his son. He's tried everything. And the one thing he thought he had left failed. And Jesus shows back up. He comes back on the scene. And the father implores of Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us the Father is not even sure what's actually possible anymore. If, if God, God, if, you, if Jesus, if you're even able, would you take pity and help us? He's got so many questions. And the faith that the Father arrived to the disciples with has absolutely been shaken. So how does Jesus respond? Well, depending on your translation, you're probably going to have one of these two statements here. The first, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes now here's the thing about that statement jesus went around proclaiming the reality of the kingdom of god right jesus's message was repent believe the kingdom of god is at hand so i don't think what's happening here is jesus is questioning whether or not this guy can believe he knows he can believe it's the whole point of his message right repent and believe the kingdom of god is at hand It's a directive. Jesus is pointing to something so much more fundamental. Because we have this second statement. We've got that first one versus the second one. If you can, Jesus said. And some of you might have that extra little believe in there at the beginning. If you can, believe. All things are possible for him who believes. It's almost like he's questioning not so much whether the father has in his ability the faith to believe, whether Jesus has the actual ability to deliver his son or not. What he's really asking is, do you know who I am? Do you not realize who I am if you can? It's not a prideful, arrogant thing. It's, don't you realize who I am? Forget what I can do because if you know who I am, you know what I can do. Don't you see who I am? If you know who I am, if you believe in who I am, anything is possible. Jesus is pointing to a belief that is so much more fundamental, so much more central than just whether or not a miracle is possible in this moment. He's highlighting the importance of knowing who Jesus is. And it's at that moment in that encounter with Jesus himself where the father is confronted with the identity of Jesus and he declares, I believe, help my unbelief. He is able to confess, notice it's even without seeing his son healed. That's not even happened yet. But in the encounter with Jesus and seeing who Jesus is, he's able to say, I believe in who you are. Would you please help me in my unbelief for all the other stuff? that I just don't know is possible, about what Jesus can actually do. And so I want you to consider a few questions. You know, I wonder, as we walk out our own discipleship, do we sometimes find ourselves in a very similar situation where we not only doubt the works of God, but we begin to, again, maybe even subconsciously doubt the person of God? who he really is, what his identity is. And I want you to consider whether maybe we doubt sometimes that things can change because they've just been that way for so long. Do we sometimes maybe doubt that God will heal because the last time we prayed or the last time someone else prayed for us, it didn't happen, nothing changed. And what I want you to hear is that our doubts and our disbelief don't threaten God. He's okay with that. But I do believe he wants to settle it with us. Why? Because he wants us to live a full life. He's come that we can have life to the full. You know, we seem to have this idea that if I don't have enough faith, the kingdom of God is gonna stall out and stagnate and stuff's not gonna happen and it's gonna grow weak and it's all our fault. (laughs) Let me just take that pressure off of you, okay? God's purposes are gonna stand and he's gonna do all that he pleases. Jesus did not heal that boy out of the faith of the disciples, did he? He didn't actually need that. Jesus, when he fed all those crowds, the multitude, he didn't feed that multitude out of the faith of the disciples because they were saying send them away and go let them buy stuff in town. Jesus did it with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves. But he invited them in to be participants through faith, through belief in what he was doing. You see, guys, because here's the thing. Even at its best... Even at its strongest, even on our best day, what we bring to the table isn't enough. On our absolutely most faith-filled day, we are completely dependent on Jesus, are we not? But he invites us to participate, to believe in him through faith, And let us actually enter this amazing story where he is enough where the faith he can give us is enough where his power is enough where his authority is enough and we get to participate in that isn't that amazing what if we believed in him just enough to be obedient to what he calls us to would that be sufficient for us what if we put our unbelief where all of the outcomes are concerned, you know, up on that table that we've been talking about for Jesus to deal with? What if we stop looking at outcome and are having the, the struggle and the faith over outcomes saying, you know, God, I don't even know if I believe enough for all of this stuff to happen, but I believe that you are the risen Savior, the Son of God, so I'm just gonna be obedient to what you've asked me to do. What if we asked for that kind of belief? to believe first in who Jesus is. And we're just obedient to his call. Would we be content praying for the sick if they aren't healed? Would we be okay giving him our time and our resources and our attention and our money and trusting him with our children, with our joy, with our provision, without having to worry about those measurable outcomes that we've been taught to measure all of our investments by because we live in a consumeristic, capitalistic culture, don't we? And we're taught if you don't get a certain return on your investment, it's not worth it. But Jesus says, believe. So that's our first picture. I want to look at one more. John chapter 20. If you'll turn there with me. John chapter 20. We're going to go to verse 19. Again, the context here, this is right after Jesus' resurrection. The tomb has been found empty. He has revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, who thought he was the gardener. And when she realizes who he is, you know, she takes off running back to tell the disciples, he's here. Jesus is here. He is risen. And so that's where we find ourselves. Let's read John chapter 20, verses 19 to, uh, what I say, 31? Yeah. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with them when Jesus came. Don't you wonder what he was out doing? It's like the only one, not there. Like, you ever think about that? Where was he? Coffee what was he? He what? Coffee run. Coffee run. He was, he was, they sent him to Starbucks. <laughs> Probably not. He might have been in a really dark place. He was alone for some reason. So he's not with them. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. (laughs) These verses kill me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Why, John, why? Couldn't you have just written them down? (laughs) Like, really, dude, what else were you doing? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What an amazing passage. What a gracious God. What a gracious Savior. Thomas was struggling. Maybe that's why he was alone the first time. He was in a dark place. His friend, his teacher had died. His faith was hanging by a thread, if that. And Thomas thought, once Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples and they ran and told him, He thought he needed to touch the wounds. He thought he needed tangible proof of what they were saying in order to believe. He thought he needed to actually put his fingers in the nail holes and put his hand in in that spear hole in his side before he was going to believe anything. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Now, this passage doesn't explicitly say whether he touched him or not, but from Jesus' response, it seems to be, because Jesus responds, right? You have seen and believed. It seems that maybe all Thomas needed was to be close to Jesus again. He just needed to be in his presence. He needed to see him again. He needed to get close again. Because, guys, it is interaction with God in his presence that transforms all of our unbelief into faith. It's drawing near to him. When we respond in our doubt to Jesus like the man who actually said Lord help my unbelief or when we respond like Thomas who declares my Lord and my God I believe we give the spirit something to work with. I believe we put whatever we have on that table and say, here you go, right? We give him a starting point. We give him our first steps. We give him just those few meager fish and loaves that we have, not really sure what it is he's gonna do with them, if he's gonna do anything at all. And we let him lead us in the next steps. We let him take us a little bit further and he takes it and he multiplies it and he does something with it. Some of you have been with Jesus, and some of you have seen really amazing things that have bolstered your faith healings, miracles, just provision like you never expected. And your faith is strong right now, and you're at a great place. You need to share those things with people who need to hear them. It is not yours to keep to yourself. You need to tell those stories and use that testimony. And you need to do like Mary Magdalene. You need to run and the disciples and say, Thomas, look, Jesus is here. And you need to tell those stories because you have those stories to let them be a witness to others. But if that's not where you're at and if the only faith that you can muster right now is to say, Jesus, I believe you are the risen Lord. That's all I've got. Then start there that's okay. Lay that on the table. Put that out there. Allow him to work on that. Allow him to bless that. Allow him to grow that seed into a harvest. And don't write it off thinking it's not enough to make a difference. Remember the little boy's lunch. How many did it feed? Thousands. He never thought it'd be enough. Just offer to him what you have. Whatever you have offer it to him even if it seems too little or too insufficient or insignificant because he's the one who brings the increase so the question is what is it that you have belief for what do you have do you have just enough belief to show up with your kid who needs a touch from Jesus and say here he is I need you to touch him you know it's enough for him to start and do something with And it's enough for him to use as a starting point to bring you into more. But there's a really important point here that I think we get from Thomas. Don't disengage. This matters a lot. Don't disengage. Don't go off by yourself and hide in your hidey hole (laughs) until you work it all out and figure out what you believe and what you're gonna do about it. Because that's not how we're meant to be. We are meant to be in the context of community and God's presence because that's where all this stuff changes. It was the other disciples that came to find Thomas and tell him about this and pull it say, dude, come be with us next time. You know, next time we get together, come be with us. Don't be alone. Come be with us and see with us. And it was in that context that Thomas encountered Jesus in the context of his community. That week alone didn't do him any favors even if he got coffee out of it. You know, it was in the gathering together with other believers where Jesus was that Thomas was strengthened and his doubt was transformed into belief. You know, we can pull away and we can isolate and we can look at the works of God with skeptical eyes and just explain away the works of God with logic and reason and whatever. But when we do that, we begin to build calluses on our heart. And we don't want hard hearts. The alternative is we can gather with his people, which like we're doing this morning, and like we've prayed for the fellow believers in Russia and Ukraine and all around the world. And we can gather together where his spirit is, where his spirit inhabits. And we can either metaphorically or lyrically, literally, not lyrically too, we do that, right? Cry out, God, I believe. You are my Lord, help my unbelief. And then I want to wrap up with this point. I want you to see this. What's the whole point of all these signs and wonders and miracles that John is recording in this book? Well, he tells us. That little end bit there, right? The end of the chapter, John 20, verses 30 through 31. Let's read it again. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that jesus is the messiah the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name the point of all this guys isn't have enough belief and it will cause miracles to happen some of us have been taught that and that's kind of messed up that puts the burden on us and that's not where it's meant to be The point isn't have enough belief and it will cause miracles to happen. These miracles have belief as their purpose, not their cause. Do you see that? The point of the miracles is for belief to happen or to continue happening. The miracles give us belief in Jesus and it's the belief in Jesus that gives us life. Life. Believing in healing, believing in miracles, believing in incredible signs and wonders, believing that God can and does speak to you, believing that he's going to use you and your hands and all the resources you have to do his work. These are all really important, really good, and true things. But they're all secondary to the main thing, which is believing in Jesus, that he is the risen son of God sent by the Father. That's first. And it's out of that that everything else flows. Okay? So what do we do? Same writer, same book. John says this. John 6:28 through 29. Then they asked him, "What must we do to do the works that God requires?" And Jesus answers them. And we've got this so wrong so many times. The work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. We've piled a lot of junk on top of that, haven't we? Believe in him. That's, that's how we do the work of God because all the other stuff follows. But believing in Jesus is first, it's paramount. And if we do that, what's the result? Jesus says this to Martha when Lazarus died, John 11:40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Cause and effect, don't flip them. We believe in Jesus and we see the fruit of that. When we believe something, guys, we act on it, right? we That's when we start to do something about it. We don't do the miracles and be like, well, maybe I believe in this stuff. We believe in the miracles and the other stuff flows out of it. <laughs> just a quick funny story. Um, the front door of our house is almost always unlocked. You know, we when Jeremy and Jessica come over, they walk right in, you know, neighbors walk right in, kids, had a neighbor kid walk in when I was in the shower one time, that was not a good thing. But the front door of our house is almost always un- unlocked because we're in and out at all day, right? Josh is getting the mail, we're letting the dog out, kids are coming home from school, there's a lot of activity. And so our kids have gotten accustomed when they come home from school, that they're getting home from the bus and they're done with school and they're ready to be home and in one swift movement, they kind of open that door and come through the doorway all at once, right? You see where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> Every now and then, I leave to go to the store and I lock the front door or something and maybe they beat me home. And it's happened on occasion, funk. <laughs> Didn't mean to spill over my notes, excuse me. <laughs> it's embarrassing. And their face connects that door because it's locked. Because they're used to things being a certain way. They're, they're used to expecting that door to be open and not pausing and turning the doorknob and seeing if the door opens first and just doing it all in one motion. And every now and then, whack. And you hear it from upstairs. Oh, Karis is home. (laughs) Whoops, forgot to unlock the door. (laughs) Because you know what's just happened. You know, sometimes though, for whatever reason, we go to walk through that door and we find it locked. Who knows why, but it happens. And it hurts. Yeah, it leaves a mark for a bit. And the next time we go to walk through that door, what happens? (coughs) We're more hesitant. We're more reticent. We're a little more wary the next time. We're a little bit more cautious. Maybe we don't have quite as much faith that things are gonna be as they once were. So what's contributed to your unbelief? You know, what door didn't open for you when or the way that you expected it to? There's an invitation here this morning to put that thing on the table and let God heal it and address it. I think COVID has contributed to our unbelief. We didn't expect this to go on as long as it has. We expected to be more effective in our prayers and in our ministry. I think the failures and shortcomings of trusted leaders has contributed to our unbelief. Put it up there. You know, And as we do, let's answer these questions. Just think about these. And I want to leave you with these to ponder. Do we believe that God is working? Do we believe he's moving and doing stuff? If we do, what is it that we're doing to participate in that? Do we believe he's returning? Do we believe he's actually coming back? Or if we just kind of turn that into a fairy tale? If we believe he's really coming back, what are we doing to prepare for that? Do we believe he's present? Like, do we believe he's actually here right now in our midst among us as he promises to be when his people gathers in his name? Do we really believe that? Or do we need to, like, stick our fingers in the holes in the side? Do we believe he's present? And if so, what are we doing to press into that? our response matters and I just want to challenge you that if you don't really have an answer for those second pieces of those questions maybe we need to evaluate how much we really believe in the first part of the question because we act on what we believe whether we mean to or not our belief determines our actions the good news is that we can start that right now today here we can answer these questions we can wrestle with them and we can respond in kind if you need to take that first step where you just say i believe jesus you are the risen son of god that's all i've got like if you've never said that before you need to start there that's step one and we want to pray with you if you want to say yes to jesus for salvation to enter his kingdom today is the day you can't go anywhere without that that's first and so if you need to take that first step we're here to pray with you and to walk you through that and he will meet you there he will meet you on whatever stage of the journey you're on for some of us we need to extend our faith outward a little bit more from that point not only from who Jesus is but what he can do to say Jesus I believe in you I've believed in you for a long time but I'm struggling with the other stuff of what you can do. What you can do in my life, what you can do in the conflict around the world, what you can do in my kids' lives, what you can do in the struggles I'm having. And he wants to invite you into that. So I believe our ministry times are a direct reflection of our answers to these questions. And if I can be a little honest, they've been a little anemic lately. I'm a pastor, I'm allowed to say that, right? Do we come and ask for prayer? If we do, it's a sign we believe that God works through other people in the laying on of hands, in prayer, in words of knowledge, in prophecy, in whatever, and we believe he's going to meet us and say and do something. If we stay in our seats when we're struggling and yet we have need, it speaks to an unbelief that God doesn't care and he's not going to do anything about it. And so I just wanna challenge you this morning. Whatever your area of unbelief, whatever your area of need is, that you do something about it. Just like Bev said, if you need healing, physical healing, please come get prayer. If you need provision, please come get prayer. If you just need to say, God, I just helped me with my unbelief, please come get prayer. And if you're not getting prayer, please come give prayer. Because that's another part of belief, right? When we know, it, it, like, do we really believe the Spirit of God works through us? Then if so, let's get up and lay our hands on somebody and pray for them, okay? We don't have to have it all right. It's not ours anyway. It's his provision, like we talked about earlier, right? So let's do that. Um, Jessica, if you want to come in, she'll, she'll give us kind of a, a worship. You know, all this is in the context of worship, right? So that's what we do. We do this in the context of worship but we don't stay in our seats. Can you guys do me a favor and just stand up? Because here's the thing. That, like, overcomes the first obstacle, right? If we just stand up, like, we're, we're, it's a lot easier to start taking steps if we're already standing. So there's empty seats in the front row. Um, it's hard to know that you need prayer if you just stand there and, like, expect us to have, like, ESP. So I want to invite you to come up. We've got elders and leaders in this room, teach, you know, the folks who teach and lead. Someone will come pray with you. Please don't sit down and leave until they do. But please don't leave without asking first. Holy Spirit, come. God, where we struggle in our belief, Lord, we believe you are Lord, Son of God, risen Savior, died on the cross and rose again, filled your body with your Spirit, help our unbelief. Help us where we've grown stale and stagnant, where we just aren't sure if you're going to heal, where we're not sure if you're going to bless others through our prayers and our hands, where we're just not sure if you're going to show up. God, make us like Thomas who said, all right, I'll show up with you and we'll see what happens. Lord, would you meet us there?